The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Prospect Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that would rather talk about Noah Schultz than go to a Premier League soccer game. At least this half, I'm Jordan Schusterman. Mike Farron is joining me. Jake Mintz is in England watching some footy. What Have you ever been to a, an English Premier League match, uh, Mike So we, we went at the holidays... I think it was 2018, and I pled with my wife to go to a game because I was like, she couldn't give a damn about sports. And I was like, uh, it's going to be a great environment. She wouldn't let me do it. I was really bummed. Oh. But it's like, you know, like when you're right there ahead of Christmas, yeah. everybody's playing and yes, it would have been so cool. The so it's Boxing it's, Day matches. Yeah, oh. it's, we weren't there quite that late, but um, it would have been a lot of fun. So it's on the bucket list still. So okay. I am jealous of Jake that that's the footy yes. that he, as opposed to the footy that we this weekend <laughs> yes very true very true I, is I it did. funny though that to hear the like 20 year old baseball analytics debates rear their ugly head in football like in american Dude, football I know. it cracks me up i do feel like i'm just watching the same discussions it's just a like slightly different language uh when i when i witness the the silly football discourse that we will very much not be getting into. Uh, but yes, I have been to a Premier League uh, match with Jake, actually, when we were oh, both, cool. uh, studying abroad. When Jake was in London, I was in, in Denmark back in 2015. We we went to uh, Manchester City and a Fulham game. I remember we went to a Fulham game. I don't even think nice. when they were in the Premier League at that point. So I'm sure he's having a grand old time. Jake will be back on Friday. But today, on this Wednesday, we're recording this on Tuesday. It's just you and me, Mike, and we have a lot to get to. We have some fun transactions. We've got an extension that we saved. We did not talk about on Monday. So we're going to talk about Colt Keith here because that is a prospect signing a big-time extension. A lot of top 100 lists coming out recently. So we're going to hit on some of the themes and things that stick out about those. Some prospects that definitely have caught our attention and where they rank on those lists. And then the college baseball season is Coming real quick, Mike Farron. I believe it is two weeks. Opening day is two weeks from Friday. And that is extremely exciting for us. It is especially exciting because there is a decent chance that we will be watching a ball game together in Arizona on that opening day. I haven't figured out the specifics yet, but I do hope to be in Arizona uh, for that first week for some spring training coverage as well as some college baseball goodness because last year, what a treat that was, the oh. Grand Canyon-Tennessee uh, game, which was honestly maybe one of the best games of the, of the year, and it was it was opening weekend. So looking forward to all that, but we do have some major league uh, news and notes to get to, and let's begin with a little transaction. Can you believe it, Mike Farron? Jerry DePoto made a trade, the <laughs> 161st swap of his Mariners tenure, and this was a doozy. Now, I got to give you credit, Mike. This is one, he has made so many trades where it's like, where the hell did that come from? This one was one that you and a lot of people across the industry have said, yeah, this could make a lot of sense as the Mariners have acquired Jorge Polanco in exchange for four players, two prospects that we will talk about. But let's start with the major league headliner. Jorge Polanco is a I, I mean, I think this is a, this is a difference making trade for Seattle. And, and I think one of my criticisms, I said this on the radio on Tuesday too, at times of Jerry DePoto has been that he has uh, made moves. that seemed like at times for the sake of making moves, which I, I don't, and I don't want to necessarily say that that's a bad thing. Sometimes you need to change over personnel, but there was never that idea that they got appreciably better until they made the Luis Castillo deal. Mm -hmm. And now <laughs> with the Polanco one, listen, it, I think it was a fair deal in what Minnesota got back. And we'll talk about that in a second, but Polanco is an all-star caliber second baseman who, you know, if if not for the internal improvements of some of the Twins middle infield prospects, um, <clears throat> the arrival of Edward Julian, and the fact that Polanco has only played 184 games over the last two seasons, he probably wouldn't be available. But 
It wasn't that long ago that he hit 33 home runs in a season, and in those 184 games, he's hit 30 on the nose. The last two seasons, he's a switch hitter. He will settle into that position just fine defensively. He'll hit in the top third of their lineup. Um, All of the machinations for Seattle this winter in trying to get fewer strikeouts and move payroll around and all of that really paid off in this move. I, I don't think I can oversell how impactful this trade has a chance to be for Seattle. It changes the complexion of their roster significantly because now instead of platoons or two infield positions, now those guys are depth players, they're depth pieces, a Rojas Rebe with Josh Rojas and, and uh, not, not a Rebe, Rias, Luis Rias platoon at third base has a chance to be really, really good. And those guys, if Polanco were to miss time, aren't, bad players and if you have to fill in for two weeks at a time you're in much better shape so i think the roster works a lot better i think this trade was great for them um for 2024 that it's a clear win and it's not that's not to say that that minnesota didn't get pieces and they certainly got prospects that are interesting um but they got pieces that are going to help them from a depth standpoint this year but man this is like this is a game changer for the mariners as far as Mm -hmm. i'm concerned yeah, and let's let's stick on them. Obviously, we'll, we'll get to the prospects here in a second, but you're, you you hit it right there, is moving those players that when you pulled up the Fangraphs depth chart a month and a half ago were sitting in the starting lineup, and you're like, holy shit, is this team really serious mm-hmm. about being competitive? And, and obviously, they were, and they wanted to, but they had been hamstrung, and these are self-imposed payroll restraints that are frustrating on many levels. But under that, once you... Uh, except that you're operating under those under those quote-unquote guidelines and those limits and you see the way that they turn the roster over it's pretty amazing uh when you see where we were at when we were in nashville and they make that kelly trade and i remember thinking at the time i was like oh like this has to be for something big right and it was a few different moves right it took a while to get there but i do think that the roster that they have now is a healthier it's a deeper roster I think the floor is higher. I think the ceiling is similar, if not higher. And yeah, when you have the Dylan Moores and the Sam Haggerty's, and now they just, right before we started recording, they acquire Samad Taylor from Kansas City, mm-hmm. another kind of upper depth piece. They have Ryan Bliss, who they got last year, also at the AAA level. Those are guys you want to have there, but not guys you want to rely on to get 500 plate appearances, right? If you want to contend exactly. with the Astros or the Rangers. And so that is what is so impressive. And before we flip to the Minnesota side, why it's really exciting, and again, when you looked at the when you st- when you started to realize how much they were going to remodel this offense, and the obvious talking point the whole time was it's going to cost Bryce Miller, it's going to cost Brian Wu, it's going to take even a Emerson Hancock. They're going to have to deal from those starting pitchers to get what they want offensively, and so that's not to say that they didn't pay a hefty price, and we can to, arguably right whether it's fair or not. But for them to come out of this with an offense that looks the way that it does, with what could be the best rotation in baseball, or at least projects to be comfortably, you know, top five conservatively, that is why Mariners fans, I think, are feeling so good. Because you don't have to worry about, oh God, what is Bryce Miller going to become? What is Brian Wu going to become? And sure, we'll talk about the prospects, but ultimately when you're talking about winning now and they, they have to, they have to bounce back from what was such an embarrassing end to their season in 2023, they are in such a strong and such a more balanced position, I think, to do that. And I think that is why it's exciting. And just for Polanco, like he's, I just think he's awesome. I love switch hitters. I love switch hitters yeah. who are, can do damage from both sides. This is someone who has a very consistent track record from both sides of the plate. And, you know, you can add in the, hey, Perry Hilk is going to, you know, flash up, make that defense a little smoother. Like that's something he's done with literally every other infielder he's worked with. So you could, you know, project on that. And yeah, when he's been healthy, which is, which is, again, I, I know he's coming off a year with 80 games, but he has, we're not talking about Byron Bucks in here, right? Like this is a guy who's played full seasons. Right. And the injuries, it's not necessarily the, the kinds of ones that they've already talked about that. So he's only 30s. Now we're not talking about a 33, 34 year old. So at the same time, when you pile up the other players on their roster, like Garver, like Hanniger, who have had injury issues, like I'd say that is the concern when you look at this team. But as as we mentioned, the depth is so much stronger, and uh, they're just in a better position to withhold a situation or withstand a situation like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously as a Mariners fan, I'm pretty excited about it too. Yeah, and I think too to your point on those young guys, 
like if they're going to compete for the fifth spot in the rotation, which, which most of them you know, seem like they're lined up to do, um, boy, they were in a really good position with Miller, Wu, Emerson, Hancock right there on the on the doorstep. And, you know, listen, they gave up a pretty good reliever in Justin Topa in this deal. And Topa has had problems staying healthy, but you know, Freelander Barroa is right there. And he would be a, a, I mean, a potential upgrade in their rotation. Disclafani kind of fit, but didn't fit. I mean, he gave them depth. He get, he'll do the same thing for the Twins. I've always found that Disclafani to me has been a perfectly cromulent back-end starter mm-hmm. in the big leagues. He's super competitive. Like, I like him quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you're giving up depth to be able to get somebody who's going to impact on a daily basis, and I think you do that every time. Mm-hmm. And that's not even getting to the prospects who are interesting that Minnesota got. I mean, th- these are these are guys. One of them is on a top 100 list, and um, another one who is – is kind of intriguing for like a, for, yeah. a former D2 star. Yes, yes. So we'll get to Darren Bowden. I do want to hit on Topa here quickly. You mentioned yeah. um, he was, and again, they've, they've done this a lot, and this is why you feel comfortable giving up Justin Topa is because you can find another Justin Topa. They have guys who have legitimate you know, prospect pedigree um, who have just the pure arm talent has kind of taken off in the minors like Perlander Baroa. But my God, they've acquired so many guys in that kind of, triple a big league level that i mean you just can't really deny their track record at this point of getting the most out of them whether that is a jackson coar whether that is a mauricio Lavera, right like they have kind of brought in a ton of those setting up for a pretty pretty serious you know competition in camp for those last couple uh bullpen spots so that said though like topa not just how good he was this dude pitched seven. He appeared in seventy-five games. Yeah, in twenty twenty-three, which is and that's after he had appeared in that many over the previous like four or five seasons. So that was a miracle in and of itself. Um, not to think that I don't think he's going to sustain that. I, I really like Justin Topa. I think he makes the Twins bullpen, which is mm-hmm. I think already really underrated, really strong. So that's a good unit. But again, like the Mariners, if they've proven anything, they should be able to replace that one way or another. Scafani, I agree clearly. I think that the the Salaries here certainly helped the Mariners make this move even even more, you know, aggressively. Maybe it did ultimately raise the prospect price that the Twins being willing to take back these Galfani probably enabled them to get these two prospects in Gabriel Gonzalez and Darren Bone. So let's talk about those two guys here quickly. Um, let's talk about uh, Gonzalez first because he's yeah, the well, one he's... that I think uh, most people maybe recognize more if you're in the pro- if you follow the prospect space, you see him on a top 100 list, you might be a little bit more familiar with him. So what's your read on him? Yeah, I mean. Interesting guy, right? Just 19 years old last year, opened the year in full season A-ball in Modesto in the Cal League. And he'd finished there the year before as an 18-year-old. And I just want to use this as kind of an aside. The Mariners have not been super aggressive at pushing um, Latin American uh, prospects, at least over the first years of this minor league restructuring to the Cal League. You know, the Cal the Cal League used to be A advanced. Now it's full season A and it's a weird league. And that level is weird because it's either guys who were drafted the year before and a lot of times college guys, which is how the Mariners have tended to use it, or they are young Dominican and Venezuelan players making their stateside debut, which used to happen in short season ball. So it's kind of an accelerated timeline and it's a weird league and he didn't just hold his own. He excelled in it and did not strike out hit for power. He struggled a little more when he got promoted later in the season to, to high a Everett. That's also not nearly as hitter friendly a league as the Cal league is. So I would take numbers in both those spots of the grain of salt. I think the biggest question is whether or not he can stay in a physical shape enough to be able to be a corner outfielder, right? Like, or if he's hit, he's, Kind of similar physically, it sounds like. I haven't seen him in person, but uh, to a guy we referenced several podcasts ago, Emma Belvick Ortiz from the Rangers, who is like a hitting machine, but also a bowling ball. So I think that that's kind of where, you know, that's where why Gonzalez is ranked kind of in the back 20 ish of a prospect top 100 list, despite the numbers, is because I think there's questions about the physical projection with him. I don't know. Do you want to add anything on Gonzalez? Because you're, I mean, obviously you're tied into the mirror. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that you 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 covered it mostly. I think the important part there is you're, you're pulling up the baseball reference page. Maybe you haven't seen. It, you're like, oh, this, what do you mean this dude's been playing center? Um, mm-hmm. And that's true because again, it's a teenager, and you're going to let him do it as long as he can. But unlike with like a Julio, where the body was, you know, maybe you expected to get bigger and grow into an athletic right right fielder, he re- you know completely remade his his body and became you know an elite 
sprint speed and all these things, whatever. Julio's a one of one. This from the beginning, it's like, okay, we're getting bulky. We're getting sturdy, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, there's real strength there. We're talking about a corner outfielder, but it's going to be important for him to be able to be competent in right or left. And then on top of that, but but why is he on the top 100? Those, those numbers, I mean, he was among the most productive teenage hitters in all of minor league baseball last right. year. And for him to play that much and produce that much, and, and that's what's interesting. He, he sw- he's really aggressive. He swings a lot, doesn't strike out a lot, also doesn't walk a lot. And that's a kind of a profile that also kind of scares some teams when you're talking about if he's going to fall down the defensive spectrum. It, it can get kind of hairy in a hurry there. But at the same time, he's going to play this whole season at 20, probably going to reach double A. Like he's still on schedule, if not ahead of schedule, right? So there's still a lot to like here. I think the other thing to mention with him is just how he slots in in the context of what is suddenly a very crowded Minnesota Twins outfield prospect stash. Yeah. yeah. Um, not in a bad way, right? Obviously, you want as much good players as possible. And if this was the best player they thought they could get for Blanco, then sure, great. Um, but, you know, do you consider who they just drafted in Walker Jenkins? You consider a guy like Emmanuel Rodriguez, who you also mm-hmm. see on, on some top 100 lists. They have some other guys, you know, Kalai Rosario, who's more of a corner guy who we saw in the fall league, young guy for his class. He's kind of made some some strides. So there's, and there's, I'm sure there's, there's a couple others I'm, I'm forgetting. So that's another interesting element as we kind of project the Twins outfield over the next few years. I think that's also going to be something to watch. But ultimately, I think he, I understand why he was someone to target, but he's he's going to have some some challenges in high A um, and double A in terms of the aggressive approach, and then we'll see where the body is at. Yeah, they've, they've got kind of a, they've got a sneaky good system in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's been that way for a while, mm-hmm. and not the least of it is that outfield depth. And like, I would even throw Austin Martin in there, yeah. who, who was the former number, what, five overall pick in 2020 by the Jays and really had not done much professionally until the second half of last season when all of a sudden the numbers looked pretty real offensively. He's always had a good idea of the strike zone. The question's been what position can he play? And I think this also helps to lead to the trade of Polanco, right? As Martin mm-hmm. can play second, he can play center field. He gives them some options and is probably going to factor in on the roster. Really, they're clearing a spot for Brooks Lee. I mean, that's what that's yeah. the guy that's going to come, who was their first rounder in 22. And he's like, he's a really good player. Like, I don't think he's probably a shortstop in the end, but he might be an everyday second baseman mm-hmm. and he might be comparable to Jorge Polanco in terms yeah. of well, may, maybe here. not quite to that level. Cause that's a high bar to yeah. clear. Right. I mean, you're talking about an all-star who's got a, a 30 Homer season under their belt. I don't know that Lee's necessarily going to get to that, but he's got a chance to be a really good player and above average regular at second base. Totally. And, and that one is interesting too. Martin, where he slots in Julian, they still have Kyle mm-hmm. Farmer. Do you want Julian? facing lefties also Brooks Lee I mean I imagine he's he has not played second base like at all yet he's really only been doing a shortstop and third I imagine that'll change probably in spring training because they want you know Royce Lewis if we learned anything about the twins you know in 2023 is they want Royce Lewis to be the third baseman and obviously Correa is still there so it is interesting to see what the twins do but the other big picture thing and we'll wrap up with Bowen here is like ultimately and we understand why they did it and it was a fair return you don't see a lot of Division winners trading the guy that was hitting second for them in October, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that is while it's while you can look at the depth chart and be like, okay, they're in decent shape here. That is not an insignificant hole to fill, you know. And so right. I think that they're in a decent position to do so. But I, I I can't imagine that you know when you look at the lineup, there's a little bit less certainty I think than there was. Uh, yeah, and they and they get in essence six and a half million dollars to play with in the deal sure. from. Mm-hmm. In, trading Polanco's contract, but then also getting about $8 million in cash from, um, from the Mariners mm-hmm. the net on it is plus six and a half that they'll reinvest sure. into too. No, so. which we but, hope, hope they do. <laughs> no, that's what they said. They, yeah. they, I yeah. mean, Derek Falvey's already said that the president yeah. of baseball operations, and mm-hmm. they could use a right-handed hitter who plays the outfield in first yeah. base. And fortunately, probably just a little North of that range, guys like Adam Duvall and Tommy Pham are probably pretty good hit fits for that. Who could D eight some. And yeah, well, maybe, I really actually like fam there a lot. I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that uh, in a second. We'll get to Justin Turner, maybe relevant to that conversation quickly on Bowen. Just wanted to, to wrap that up because I did want to mention him. Um, Darren Bowen, a, a former 13th round pick out of a D2 school, UNC Pembroke. Come on. <laughs> you, you know, about actually, you know what? I'm, I'm curious. Cause I don't know this off the top of my head. What do we think the UNC Pembroke uh, mascot is? Oh, uh, I'm going to go. Think, is it going to be something boring? I'm, let's see. Yeah. I'm going to say it's like the Cougars or something. Mm. 
the Braves, which you don't uh, actually, not far. Yeah. you don't actually, yeah, you don't actually see that that often anymore in terms of college mascots. Well, I feel like its history is intertwined with that of the Lumbee Nation, according there to Wikipedia. You go. So there you, there you go. Well, uh, UNC Pembroke again, not exactly uh, churning out big leaguers uh, at every turn, but when you watch clips of Darren Bowen, it's like, oh, I like, I get it. Like he is very, very athletic. He is again, he's got some really good characteristics on his fastball. And ultimately, it's the kind of project that the Mariners have certainly excelled on in terms of getting the most out of those kind of pitchers. And to see them, this isn't giving up on them, but they're saying, listen, this is a guy who is 20, he's going to be 23 this season and he hasn't pitched above low A. This is a, a, a nice project. And if it's someone that can, again, like we said, how do you get the deal done? Oh, there's someone with the team that you has Jorge Polanco that really wants to buy in a Darren Bowen. Great. Awesome, right? These are not, these, these is exactly the kind of trade that they need to be making because- Every team, maybe not every team, most teams have lower level guys like this that other teams are going to be interested in. And it always is going to hurt less to go to to deal from that. As much as we want to dream on what's possible for these guys that are 19, 20, and 21, this is exactly who you you kind of cash in. And and, and it'll be interesting to see how it develops with Minnesota. One cool note, Jeff Potts from Baseball America, who's one of my favorite prospect analysts, but Potts is great. So the sources in the Mariners organization told him that Bowen with, they do testing, right? With force mm-hmm. plates and all this stuff that Bowen was the best athlete they had in their organization, not best athlete for pitcher, not pitcher, right? He scored so high on those tests mm-hmm. that his athleticism was really unique. And I think that's something that, that gets your attention. With that. Yeah, By the way, it, uh, UNC Pembroke, Kelvin Sampson, the uh, head coach okay. of the Houston Cougars. Yes. Top, yes. Top 10 team in the nation is a okay. UNC I don't know what I know. Samson, not does he have any baseball background? And now I want to find so. out about. Um, but anyway, uh, that's I love that. That's good. Good shout out. Shout out to them. Um, but anyway, but that's the thing, and, and and that's a great note there because who knows? Maybe that was something where they had some sort of testing before he was drafted, and they were like, "Holy shit!" Like this dude. I mean, again, you you watch him kind of move on the mound, you understand it. But he's going to be an interesting one uh, one to watch because he was at just totally anonymous, you know, going into last season even for a late round pick. And then he kind of, he kind of popped in a ball as well. So that's, that's it on that trade. I, again, I'm excited for it, uh, for Seattle. I do think it kind of rounds out their, their off season. We'll see if they have one more move in them. Um, but yeah, they're, they, as we've talked about before, they, they definitely give us uh, stuff to talk about, which yes. uh, we can certainly appreciate. And it does sound like Minnesota will also have uh, some more, more moves coming. Um, you mentioned them again, maybe in the, in the mark for a right-handed hitter. Let's just hit on Justin Turner here quickly. $13 million deal with Toronto. Um, makes sense. We knew they were going to have to add another bat at some point. They bring in him to maybe replace Brandon Bell, who is their DH. For them to go with another right-handed hitter is, I think, an interesting uh, move. It sounds like they had interest in Jock, which I think would have been a more natural mm-hmm. fit when you see how right-handed their lineup is. To me, Justin Turner is 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 about as safe of a bet as you can get for someone who's entering their age 39 season. He's been an above-average hitter essentially every single year since he broke out uh, with the Dodgers. His power has definitely gone down. Um, you look at the underlying numbers, like he's still making elite amounts of contact. He just doesn't have quite the same thump that he did um, even a couple years ago. But, you know, this to me, this is more of a floor raiser than a ceiling raiser, which is fine. I know Blue Jays fans have had kind of a dramatic winter. I think this is a totally solid move, but I don't know. I'm still kind of looking at their lineup and 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 thinking like, listen, if Bo and Vlad don't get back to super duper star levels, which they could, yeah. this is kind of a lighter group than uh, than we think. You know, one thing Jim Duquette pointed out on, on our show was that, you know, a lot of times we can look at numbers in men in scoring position and they they vary pretty consistently year to year. But Turner's hit well over 300 in those situations for his career. That was something that was missing through the first half of the season for Toronto. Mm-hmm. He's just a really good hitter. And he can still, you know, for a guy who's going to play at 39 this year, he can still stand at third base. Like, it's not like yeah. he's a disaster there. You don't want him to be... I think on the field very much because you don't want him to wear down. You need he wants to play the field, but like you have to kind of force him into that DH role. But it gives him a little more versatility than I think they would have gotten if they'd gone down the JD Martinez or Jorge sure. Soler route. And third base is a question mark for them. I mean, right now it's a platoon of Kevin Biggio and Isaiah Connor Falefa, and that's mm-hmm. not gonna be I mean, Biggio will draw his walks. Yeah. Right. Like that's gonna be fine there. Connor Falefa can play the position defensively. It's pretty good there, but it's just kind of like 
maybe if you piece the three of them together, you can get solid production out of the spot. Right, right. Do you have Turner basically just play there against lefties? Like, there's probably ways you can do this. Um, but still, I mean, as 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 much of a roller coaster as Matt Chapman was there, like that was still some pretty high level production that they yeah. had that they that they are going to try and replace because it sounds like they're kind of tapped. I mean, I, yeah. I know they've they've had some of these bigger deals. We still haven't had the official Yariel Rodriguez announcement yet, I don't think. Um, but either way, like they're kind of already pushing to almost a franchise high for payroll. And so, yeah, I, and, and it makes me wonder what happens with Soler and Chapman and all those guys. But yeah. we'll save that uh, for another day. Unless you, yeah, unless I can't you imagine any. them going much further financially. I mean, they can't even yeah. afford to travel their radio announcers. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> thank you for for making sure we uh, we are aware of that because it is a disgrace among, <laughs> among many yes. things. I'd a disgrace rather have done that word. than sign Justin Turner. <laughs> but <laughs> fans, you know, fans, yes. I'm curious where how, how fans feel. That. I, I do sense, though, that like, Blue Jays fans are not feeling awesome. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's kind of where if, if that's it, like, especially when you consider how it ended um, again, like still a good team. I still look at this yeah. roster. I said, they're still pretty freaking good, but I, I don't know. So. Rotation's good. Like that's yep. the thing is the rotation yep. is good. Like, yep. and it's, yep. if Manoa bounces back, mm-hmm. it's got a chance to be really good. And Ricky Tiedemann, if he's healthy, it's going to impact that roster at some yeah. point this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's do one more big move before we take a break, and that's Colt Keith, my yeah. dear. Colt Keith, how about this? This is a player that I don't know if this, if he had not signed this extension, if we would have like jumped to highlight him. Maybe I'm wrong, and then again, you can you can correct me here. We would have jumped to highlight him in our top 100 discussion, but this is a really really interesting move for the player for the team. Colt Keith, a second base, third base prospect, but it sure seems like he's going to be the second baseman for the Detroit Tigers. Signing a six-year uh, guarantee extension, kind of locks in about thirty million dollars. Could max out at around eighty-two million dollars over nine years if all the options are exercised. Of course, those are like ten, twelve million dollars a year. Um, you know, in the back half of that, would still, in theory, you know, hit free agency. You know, at age 30, 31, which wouldn't be that that unusual uh, for a player. So, this is a pretty big commitment. Of course, we've talked about pre-debut deals before. And Colt Keith is a is a fascinating uh, prospect to me. Now the profile now at this point is, uh, I believe, as Eric Longenhagen wrote in his his write up recently in the Tigers list. I really like the Nolan Gorman uh, comparison. I think that that's mm-hmm. that's really interesting in terms of really power forward, left handed bat, good approach, gets to the power in games, um, but. I'm most interested in how Keith got here because I don't know how much you remember about Keith as an amateur, but this was a, a, a athlete, a two way athlete coming out of high school in Mississippi to the point where teams liked him on the mound, mm-hmm. you know, just as much as they liked him in the infield. And then, you know, you kind of, he starts his pro career, of course, this is the 2020 draft. So maybe it's maybe limited info based on the, you know, but he, he was on the showcase. People knew who he was. And then over the first couple of years of his minor league career, he just gets freaking huge and not necessarily in a bad way, but in a way where it's like, oh, okay, I guess he's not a shortstop. And then the arm also kind of falls off and he is kind of this, this just slugger, this like big slugger who probably is best at second base or at a corner and the power numbers he's been putting up. And I believe he had us in the fall league as well is, yeah, is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like the bat quite a bit having seen it a fair amount like he can hit um you know i don't know where the power is going to end up being as a big leaguer i have a feeling it probably because he is such a good hitter it's probably more doubles than dingers to start mm-hmm. um but you know to your point like he was i mean he was a really good two-way player in high school and was the top high school player in the state in in 2019 as a junior you know in mississippi um, I think part of the reason from what I can understand that he's playing second base is because he had had a shoulder surgery. Mm-hmm. They feel like he could play third at some point, but Scott Harris had said second is where it's going to be now. And I think part of the reason why that's so interesting is that Jace Young, who was, was a first rounder two years ago, who had been looked at as a third baseman at Texas Tech and then moved to second for his junior year, won the minor league gold glove award at second base last year, and he's going to play third and probably will be their third baseman, if not an opening day for the bulk of the season. But they feel like Keith this year, and maybe it's because of the shoulder, um, that that's where they want him to 
to fit in. I don't know that it's going to be perfect defensively with any of the with with him there. I think Young will be fine at third, but he can hit, and they desperately need offense in that lineup. I'm not crazy about the fact that they are risking a lot by going young and unproven at those spots and probably Justin Henry Malloy at some point this year too, who is a walk machine in the minor leagues that they got from the Braves and the Joe Jimenez deal. Um, Malloy has maybe the best strike zone judgment in the high minors. Um, he, but he also has a lot of swing and miss and some swing and miss in zone, but really cerebral, smart hitter. Um, so like, those guys are going to be counted on a lot if the Tigers are going to be that team that arrives a year too early. And they, they kind of feel like they're the sexy pick for that right now because they're in a winnable division. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because once they were starting doing some moving and shaking earlier this winter, I was like, okay, like, are these the the D-backs? You know, I was looking at some of their, and I was like, is this the pick if we're picking a team to kind of make that jump? Uh, maybe not go to the World Series, but you, you know what I'm kind of getting at there. I'm glad you mentioned Young and Malloy. I think it's important to remember that Young is not, he's a, a little bit behind. I mean, he'll have the opportunity, but he's only played like 50 games in double A. Whereas Malloy, Keith finished the year hitting really well in AAA. Malloy was in AAA the entire season. So I imagine that coming into camp, you know, Malloy maybe has the inside track to go and win that third base job. Because again, who are we talking about blocking them? We're talking about Zach McKinstry. We're talking about Matt Veerling, Nick Maton, Andy Abanez. Again, like they were okay last year, but if the Tigers are trying to make a step forward, to your point, there's things, it's exciting, right? I think fans generally are, they think they want the young guys who are on prospect list to come up and like play all the time. And sometimes that works and it's awesome. And then other times it's like, oh shit, Major League Baseball is really hard. And this guy's not any better than Matt Veeling. And now we're kind of stuck with this log jam and who do we have and who are we actually playing every day? And this is why AJ Hinch, you know, gets paid the big bucks. But ultimately, like this, this will be a, a sure, this extension seems to say, okay, Colt Keith will be our opening day second baseman. But that third base spot and just that Tigers infield, not to mention just like what the hell is Javi Baez at this point. Um, is going to be a very interesting storyline to watch because to your point, like in AL Central, we want we want to see these. If the Twins are going to take some sort of step back, who knows? We want to see pushing for it. And we've seen the Tigers make some of those moves. We see, of course, Kansas City trying to make some of those moves. Now, there's reasons to believe they're much farther behind. But I still think that that I, I understand the Tigers' hype and I, I, I do like a lot of what Scott Harris has done. But... Again, I'm still looking at this lineup and just being like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. I, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not particularly deep. I think Young is going to be there before you realize. I think okay, yeah. there's a real possibility of sure. him. And from what I understand, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. well, from what I understand, him opening the season with the team that's not off the table, and sure. the fact that they have Veerling there, who is probably one of their better hitters, at least in terms of strike zone judgment, is. Veerling's a really good player. Like as a utility guy and a good team, he's, you know, he can do a lot of different things and he's going to, he has, he is going to build a nice career, but I know they really like him, but I think they played Malloy a fair amount in the outfield last year. I think it was still 60 starts at third base. Yep. It was about 45 in the outfield and a few more at DH in part, because I think there's questions. He's a big dude and yeah. big dudes don't always play well at third. Not, not like he's, not like he's big dude like I'm I am <laughs> like you're big tall. dude. Like he's yeah, he's yes. he's yes. I mean he's he just doesn't move sure. um quite like you want a third baseman to, I would say. So yeah, so we'll see. I do think the Tigers competition there will be very interesting. All right, let us take a quick break and when we return, it's gonna dive into some top one hundred chatter. Uh look at some of those some of those prospect lists, because that's what we're here. We'll be right back on Prospect Arbitrage. And welcome back to Prospect Barbecast. I'm Jordan Schusterman. That's Mike Farron, Jake Mintz. Still in England, as far as I am, uh, as far as I know. Uh, let's see. Let's see. What's the score of the of the footy match? Oh, three to two. Holy crap! At least he's getting oh, some goals over there. Crystal game. Palace and Sheffield United. So five goals, three to two in soccer. I don't know what the equivalent of that is in a baseball game. That feels like a lot of runs. So I hope he's having a grand old time. <laughs> six, five. Let's say six, five. Sure. Um, all right, Mike, let's talk about some top hundred lists. Um, many, listen, top hundred. Uh, this is, this is the time of year 
uh, right before spring training when he, well, let's do it. We got, we got a list of prospects and we say, these are the future of our league and more and more now, you know, these are guys that it's like, you're not going to have to wait very long. You will be seeing the guys at the top of this list in the big leagues this year, potentially just immediately winning rookie of the year and whatnot. But we're going to try to keep a little bit more big picture here. Um, because like how, what, what gets you excited? Like when, when you open a top 100 prospect list, Mike, or is your first instinct just to look at the top and the order of the top 10? Because normally every year you kind of have like a tier at the top where it's like, these are the best prospects in baseball. And each publication, each outlet's going to put them slightly differently, slightly differently. And you do you glom onto the top or what I do is I go straight to the bottom and I say, who's on here that I don't know a lot about. And I'm like, oh shit, this guy's a top hundred prospect. I got to pay more attention to him coming into the season. But what, what kind of jumps out to you in, in a macro sense? So I'm a big tier guy. Like I like tiering. I think it's the, like I, it's something I wish we did more when we were doing like season previews in yeah. talking about it. it is less about picking exactly what team should be where and more about which teams we view and what totally groups. agree. And I think that's, for me, one of the things I'm looking for is, okay, where is the break point, right? Where do the grades change consistently on the players? Because almost all of them, like, like listen, I, I don't think I'm I'm talking out of school this, and this is nothing against the folks at Pipeline or Baseball America or even, you know, I think even Kylie and Kylie McDaniel at ESPN and, and Eric Long and Hagen at Fangrass tend to be just a, a tick more conservative in their grading. But I try to... I try to look at this with a lens of if if you're telling me that somebody's going to be a 60, which would be a plus player, which would be an, you know go to all star games, I'm probably taking it back a grade, you know, unless it's just a full blown star. I'm looking at it, okay, that guy's probably an average regular. I'm trying to to assess risk in it, and so when I do that, I'm trying to figure out okay, where are those breaks? Where are the role players coming in? Where are the guys with question marks? And that's what really the way that I go about looking at the list is uh, who is going to be grouped together in what segments of it. And then where is that point where it kind of evens out all the way through the back of the the hundred, because then you know that the next probably 40 prospects that aren't on the list are, are similar, at least in terms of what their graded ceiling is. That's a that's a really good way to put it. And again, we're not going to lean like you said. Like some of these lists have already come out. Maybe we'll refer to specific rankings. But I think that that starting with 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 what you just said there with that tier, let's let's do that at the top. I'm curious who you identify or where you identify as the breakpoint. Whereas, how many players do you kind of view in that top tier on top 100 list right now? Because if I'm because this is going to lead into a conversation I want to have about Evan Carter. Mm -hmm. um, and possibly Paul Skeens as well. I know he's someone we've already talked a lot about on this podcast, but I think Evan Carter in a prospect context is very interesting now. So we'll get to him in a second, but whether or not you think of him and Skeens, like where, where do you see that line for you and, and, and how many you know players do you see? Yeah, I mean, I'd that? say it's like in that 12 to 15 range this year, which is pretty okay. good. Like that's usually um, – that's usually I, – I would say usually if you can get you know, players close to the number of 20 that grade out to be plus grades, then it's a good list. And I would say this year, it's probably in that 12 to 15 range where I look at and think, okay, those guys are going to be, you know, well above average major league players. And obviously it's not going to happen for everybody that's in there. There are certainly different levels of risk with pitchers because pitchers have a tendency to get hurt or with players who are very young, who, you know, like Ethan Salas, everybody is very excited about because as a teenager, he was great in a ball. And then they rushed him through high A and double A and he struggled. And so like, we don't know what he is in the upper minors, but he might end up being the best player in the minor leagues by the end of this year. But there are, players in there where you wonder if they might take a little bit of a step backwards. So it's not perfect, but I kind of look at that. And those are, those are the guys that I view largely as the untouchables, right? Because part of what we do is we're talking about these players in the pro in trades, right? And those guys that grade out really high, they're the ones that aren't getting traded unless you're like getting a prime level superstar for, multiple years of control. Like right. they're, they just don't get dealt. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, you really feel like they're a core of the organization that they're with their next really good team. 
I don't know. Where do you look at it? Where do you look at the break? Like, I to me, and again, like we could get into some specific names. I actually think of that number as as lower. I think mm. at least on this current list. Um, so maybe it is different. Maybe there are some years where I look at twenty guys and I say like, oh yeah, like that's a sixty or like that's someone that like no chance in hell I'm ever moving. I mean, if you simplify it, really, like I see a fairly clear, and maybe this is a consensus, but I also mostly agree with it. I see a fairly clear top nine, um, honestly. Um, and again, we can just run through it quickly. You know, Jackson Holiday, Jackson Churio, Junior Caminero at the, you know, that's, you'll see them in the top five in some order. Then you have the outfielders in Evan Carter, Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford, who we just saw at the top of the draft. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Ethan Salas, who's just kind of this prodigy, mostly for what he's accomplished at his age. And then you have Paul Skeens, who I think is in that. I think he's in that group. Even if I wouldn't have him ahead of any of the hitters, I think he belongs in the top, top, top untouchables. And then I think James Wood is where you start to get to that's like, okay, like him versus Walker Jenkins and Max Clark. It's like at that point, once I'm kind of wondering who that next guy is, I almost want to cut it off if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but am I, am I missing anyone there? Like again, Colson Montgomery guys well, like kind of right on that edge. Marcelo <laughs> Meyer guys are right on that edge, but I, I would probably cut it off there. Not that there aren't still amazing players in that 10 to 20 range, but at times like top, 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 top. I feel like that's the group. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're you're probably about right. I mean, I think that there is, like, once you start getting to Montgomery, Jenkins, Jordan Lawler with the Diamondbacks, Jackson yep. Merrill, I think is another one who fits in there with mm-hmm. the Padres. You start to get a little bit further down on the list, and you're, um, you know, there's a little bit more question. I'd I put Samuel Basayo in there. Yeah, too, the, he's the one Orioles that I'm catching prospect <laughs> who's really interesting. I'm honestly like kind of surprised. I know I know BA had him at ten, but. I just think he's one that I know it's like the Orioles stuff. And that's part of it too. You can bake that in. You could trust their evaluations. You could trust the kind of guys that they have. I just think what he accomplished as a catcher offensively last year, you compare it to Salas. I mean, he's, he, I guess, you know, he's two years older than Salas, which again, it's like, he's still going to be 19 for much of the season, but still, I mean, what he's done offensively is is pretty sensational. So, but I I think you, you're, you're, we're mostly on the same page there, but you know, and that link that, that group that we just sort of mentioned names that like Max Clark fits in that James Wood, you mentioned Meyer, like those are guys that have the ceiling to be above average, right? Like there's something that happened to Montgomery had injuries, right? And that's Mm -hmm. kind of why he's limited. Jenkins was a high schooler. Yeah. I, I personally, I don't understand why Walker Jenkins is as low as he is on these lists, sure. which is crazy to think because he's <laughs> what 10 on pipelines and 13th on BAs. Like yeah. if, if like he How is, how much higher are you going to go? Right, yeah. Know? Right. I mean, like you could though, like if you put him okay. ahead of Jordan Lawler on BA's list, I totally. don't think I would argue with it. You know totally. what I mean? Like, even I though think he's he, barely played and we've seen Jordan Lawler and, and I think, and again, so much of it is, is age and how far right. they've come in. And, and again, like then you have situations like Jackson Merrill or even South. It's like, Oh, well, we started to see them have some amount of struggles as they've gotten to the upper levels. And that makes us get slightly less excited. Colson Montgomery, same kind of thing. I want to zoom in on Evan Carter. Okay. Yeah, because that is the it. ultimate <laughs> test because We've had, we have had some super bizarre prospect, like the Brandy, of course, first and foremost, but he was much older, right? right? But to have a postseason star be rookie eligible is a very interesting, I mean, conundrum is, is a dramatic word to use, but you understand what, what we're getting at here. And Evan Carter, you're gonna not going to see him any, he's going to be in the top 10 of all these lists. Now, statistically, you're like, well, fucking duh. The dude had a 1,000 OPS in the big leagues, and he was he was hitting third in the playoffs. Like, what the hell more do you want? And yet, and he's still only 21, right? This isn't a situation where it's like, oh, he did this all 25, and now we're maybe like a Randy situation. I, as insane as this sounds, do I am I crazy for saying that I feel like we might be overrating Evan Carter? And Oh, uh, no, I don't think so okay. at all. And yeah. my, the reason I'm saying that is we have still essentially zero evidence that he can impact left-handed pitching at all. Mm-hmm. Um, He's barely got, faced any as a pro. I think it's fewer than a hundred plate appearances, right? Like it's, it's, big uh, it's, minor it's more, right it's around not much. He's, he has yeah. not had a lot of opportunity. I believe he had one extra base hit against left-handed pitchers in 2023. Okay. Um, now again, he's 21. He will in theory have that chance. The skills, the soft skills that he's demonstrated in terms of the plate discipline, like, even in his first year in 22, he he was at least getting on base. 
Do we know he's a center fielder? Pro- he was playing center field in the minors. Of course, it's a matter of circumstance, so I don't really know how to evaluate him defensively necessarily. Obviously, look great defensively in left field. How much power is there really, right? We've seen kind of shocking swings from him where there is real power in there. But like, I'm just looking at it. And again, you bring up a guy like a Walker Jenkins. You bring up a Wyatt Lankford, who's in his own, who might be sharing an outfield with him. And when I think about impact and I'm thinking about ceiling and I'm thinking about like what stuff in the stat line and I'm struggling to, to get there with Evan Carter. What he has accomplished is incredible, and he is a massive victory for the Oregon Rangers organization for a million reasons. And so this is not a matter of downplaying what he's already accomplished or what I think he can be, which is a good major league player. But when we talk about these prospect lists and we think about, oh my God, like what's possible here? I'm thinking big, right? We're thinking crazy tools. We're thinking whatever. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm struggling and I don't even know how I would evaluate him because when you have that weird giant sample of major league success, not giant, but like big stage sample, it's, it's like hard to ignore. Yeah. I mean, we have plenty of history of guys who just show up in the postseason that are never heard from again. Right. And I don't think Carter is that, but I do think that his defensive value is part of his overall game and the defensive value is him as a center fielder. Because he doesn't have crazy power. I actually think he's a little bit more like, I mean, we, we used Wyatt Langford. He's a little bit more like a left-handed hitting version of Dylan Cruz, but with a grade less power. So it's like yeah. average power with really good defense in center field. He's a better runner than those guys. And he can really hit, right? So, I mean, you're talking about a guy that should be in that 270 to 280 range with a really high on base percentage, I would guess in the 370s. And probably a slug that looks good on paper, but if you if you were to subtract the batting average from it, which is what we use with isolated power, is probably around the league averages, right? So if he hits around 270, we're talking about 430, 440 slug. That's a really damn good player. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, that's an everyday player that's a first division starter, but it's not necessarily one of the handful of the best players in the game. From a statistical standpoint, Wyatt Langford has a chance to be significantly more impactful because he has a chance to be a legit 30 homer run producer in the middle of the lineup, right? Like he's a guy that's going to hit fourth or fifth on a good team. Carter, I mean, hit third in the world series. So it's mm-hmm. not like he wouldn't, but like if you put him in the two or the three spot or even in the leadoff spot because of his speed, I think you would have a lot of success. It's just not, I don't know if the over the board's power is going to come, but, th- but that's the other thing is that power has a tendency to come late. And we're talking about a guy who turned 21 in August, he's, right? He's younger than Cruz and Langford. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so that's not fair. About, I mean, this is not right? fair of me to say this. Like I totally, it's not saying he's a finished product. Like you can put him more weight. I, that's all I'm, I'm there. A lot of it really is that like, it's a blessing and a curse. He's barely played. And because of that, we only have so much of a sample of him against left-handers, of him against these kind of guys. So all the skills are there for him to be incredibly valuable. All, all that is so true. But when the, the nature of the prospect list is, is dreaming big and, you know, I to, so far it is a little bit harder to do that with him. And I'm not saying I would drop him to 50. I just like to have him in the top five. It's like, I don't, I don't know. It's really, really hard, but I think it's fascinating. Okay. Well, so look at, look at the, the outfielders that are around him, right? Right. Would you take Jackson Churio over the Brewers over? I think so. I think so. Yeah, Churio's got the chance to impact, right? Yeah, and he's a, he's a year younger, and he, we're going to see him in the big leagues. And yeah, yeah. Would you take Wyatt Langford over? Yes. Would you take Dylan Cruz over? Yes. Would you take Walker Jenkins over him? <sighs> so you go Jenkins next before James Wood. Well, I'm going to just throw the names sure. out there. I mean, that's like I'm, I'm working off two different lists. I think so. yes. I think yes. I think I'd rather have Jenkins. I think I'd rather have Wood. And then I think I'd rather have him than – See, I'll take Carter over Wood, uh, over James Wood because I think that there are enough yeah, that, it, that's concerns true. about the, that's the strikeout. with Like Wood doesn't – my understanding, I, I've got to find better data on it. I don't, don't want to say it out of turn. I don't think he's a crazy chase guy. He's just huge. Like he's <laughs> like right. – He's like a Jason Hayward sized dude. Like he's six five. He's, right. I and might be bigger than that. I, I, I mean, mean, I made the I made the case that like they should just put Joey Gallo next to him in the locker so they can talk about what it's like being big dudes trying to control the strike zone. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's there's like that's just natural concern with somebody like that's that size who's putting up 
pretty high strikeout numbers, never mind that when the ball's in the zone, Wood crushes it. But I think Carter's contact ability, like that is a real separator. Like Mm -hmm. he he is going to be a very good pure hitter. Mm -hmm. And so while he may not rank ahead of those guys, I think, you know, where our question is, can Wood consistently get to the light tower power he has? Mm -hmm. Our question with Carter is, can he develop into a power hitter? And those are two very different questions as far as I'm concerned. That's, that's fair. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm a sucker for what Wood is in the category of like freak shows that when you see it all click, it's like, okay, well, what the hell is this? In a positive way. Um, but I, that's totally fair. So yeah, I think that's, that's about the line. And you get to Jenkins, you get to Max Clark. That's probably where we're, it's impossible to really say you'd go against Carter. And then some people listen and say, you're insane. This dude is already like, what the hell more do you want this guy to do? And we'll see. That's what makes him one of the most interesting players in the league for 2024. Uh, He is, he was amazing last year. Like he was really, really good. And he is certainly athletic enough that he can Mm -hmm. take another step. And he comes from a baseball family. Like he's like, there's a lot of things that are really going in the right direction for him. Totally. Totally. All right. Let's go a little bit farther down the list. Um, any, any other uh, trends? I don't know if there's a single team. Um, I know the Cubs is a team that jumped out to you. So we're, cause again, that's another instinct when we see these lists like, Oh, how many does my favorite team have on the list? And are these guys that are yeah. close to the big leagues? And it's a very interesting proxy because our, our instinct is like, Oh, they have this many guys on the list. That means they're the best farm system in baseball. And sometimes it is that simple. Sometimes the Orioles have seven and it's because they have the best farm system. And then sometimes the Royals have zero and it's because they have the worst farm system. It's oftentimes not that simple, but again, it is at least some level of, of an interesting thing. And the Cubs stand out because they have a bunch, particularly on baseball America's list of a lot of guys. And when you think about their future and you think about why the Cubs have kind of acted the way that they have, and maybe the confidence that this next wave could really impact them mm-hmm. in a real way, it seems like that is, is maybe a factor in that. Well, and I think some of it is that like they have, there's no doubt that they have a better farm system than they've had in a long time. I think the difference is that they don't have the impact that they had when they won the World Series in 2016. There's no Chris Bryant, Javier Baez. The big leagues, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kyle Schwarber. Well, no, no, no. I mean, those guys coming mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. through the minor leagues, right? Like, I don't think that there's, there's that kind of impact player. You know, <clears throat> Pete Crow Armstrong has some strikeout issues too, mm-hmm. but has a terrific defensive reputation. It wasn't a great look in the big leagues. Like it was the exact opposite of Evan Carter, right? Highly regarded prospect has done all these things really well, came up and looked like he was pressing base running and defensive decisions, right? So he's got to clean that up. Um, I actually think Cade Horton might be one of the more underrated prospects on these lists. Agreed. Agreed. Because I'm not sure anybody has the fastball breaking ball combination that he does. If I were to pick a guy that, and I tend to be very conservative with pitching. Um, I think he's the guy that has a chance to be the most impactful. He's got a chance. I think a very good chance to be a starter. If not, he's going to finish games and he's going to do it at a very high level super competitive, former high school quarterback. Like he could have played quarterback in Oklahoma. Like he's a legit guy, but the rest of that kind of goes to what we were talking about before in the tiers. They have a lot of guys that are in that bottom half. Now, some are, you know, like Michael Bush is going to be a pretty solid regular, right? But I don't know that Michael Bush is going to be a star. I think there's big questions with Kevin Alcantara. Um, you know, who's on the pipelines list. I think there's questions with James Triados about where his defensive position is. I know he's a, a Jim Callis favorite, which is why he's there. Um, and, and he's a Virginia. So he's like got the perfect storm for Callis, right? He's from Virginia and he's on the Cubs uh, uh, in the Cubs system, which are Jim's on the Cubs system for automatic, years. From Virginia. Automatic so, top uh, like it's perfect there, right? Um, like Matt Shaw is going to be a good player. Owen Casey, I think Casey has is upside, right? That's, like that's the upside play. Yeah. But, but I think that there's more like when you start looking at numbers of guys that are in that 40 to 100 range, those are the guys that are intriguing, but they're not necessarily going to be the guys that carry you to a championship. Yeah, And I think that's kind of what's interesting. Like if you were to compare it to, say, Baltimore's farm system, where Baltimore just has, I mean, this is the third year in a row that they've had the number one prospect, the consensus number one prospect. That's never happened before. And they have three legitimate guys that um, I think industry-wide are viewed as largely immovable. We mentioned Bissaia before. Obviously, Jackson Holiday is the top one. And Kobe Mayo is another one whose name has come up an awful lot as 
the Orioles don't have interest in moving him. Mm-hmm. He's a little lower on BA's list that, or on um, pipelines list than he is on BA's, but he's a guy that if you're looking for players that are in that, you know, outside that range, we were talking about outside that top, you know, 10 to 15 who have a chance to be impactful, like Mayo's in that he's comfortably in that 10 to 40 range on everybody's list. And I think he's you know, because of his position and his size and, um, the power, like he's a little bit unique, but it feels like there's more impact from the guys that they have than there is with the Cubs who have a very good, strong, deep farm system. And having a deep farm system is good, especially if you're willing to make trades, because it means that you you have the personnel to be able to acquire the players that you want to help your major league team while also not necessarily mortgaging your future I'll put that with a big asterisk because you are impacting your organizational depth if you do that, but it's easier to replace the role players than it is to replace the stars. Mm -hmm. And you have to have stars replenish themselves if you're going to have an elite level farm system. And so, you know, the Cubs are an example of it. and And I think it came to mind because, you know, I've thought of them an awful lot lately. We've been talking about them an awful lot lately, but like the guardians kind of fit that mold traditionally too. They're a little bit like that in terms of, having a lot of guys and not really necessarily having one that's a big impact. You know, I think there are questions a little bit with Detroit in that. I think right now where the Dodgers system is, you know, the Dodgers have had one of the best farm systems overall. They're a little thinner in the top half right now. You know, they're not loaded with, um, you know, half a dozen guys that are in the top 100. Now they have, they have like, I think Dalton rushing is going to be pretty good but I think he's going to be pretty good in the same way that Michael Bush is pretty good. You know what I mean? Like it's a good player. And this is not like, I think just, and I I know I'm rambling on this Jordan, but like this idea that like average is bad and average major league player is really good. You win championships with average guys at most of your positions. And like, even if we say that they're a below average regular, that's a really valuable role player. Like John Jay is a, like a 45 or a C1, depending on what grading system you want. He was center fielder on World Series championship team. So like these guys are really good players. It's just, if you're looking for impact, like if you want to use the word impact to me, those are first division starters. Those are all stars. Those are the elite level players. Yeah. And the Dodgers, I agree. The top levels feel very thin relative to recent years, but man, like (laughs) I was just talking to someone recently, like, that DSL team is was apparently nuts, right? And yeah. so you see, and now you start hearing about some of those names and, and they show up and they're younger. And once they get to A ball and now it's like, oh no, now we put them in, into the top 100 prospect list, right? Now you they start putting up numbers like a Gabriel Gonzalez and maybe it's a little bit more of a balanced profile. So I totally agree with you. And it, and it is an interesting way and an important way to remember, you know, what makes a good farm system. But I would still say to, to Cubs fans listening, being like, hey, what the hell? You know, I thought we had, it's great. I want to celebrate having all these top of I was like, yes, right? Still better than the Royals <laughs> or the Marlins right. or the Angels who have one or zero and like no one else even close. You know, so you to have the depth and to have those a variety of guys, because that's the other thing. You'd rather have eight top 100 prospects because guess what? Half of them are going to be probably nothing. <laughs> and so you'd rather have you'd rather have yeah. four of them that could be something uh, instead of having one that you're pinning your entire hopes on, right? Like the Angels are in a situation where like Nolan Chanuel, who we saw in the big leagues and was rushed to the big leagues, like he better be something, right? Zach Neto, I know he's not prospect eligible anymore. He better be something because they don't have a whole lot else coming. And that's just how they've they've chosen uh, chosen to build their build their farm, and it's not really build their farm; it's the opposite. It's just like rush everyone to the big leagues, and maybe that'll change now. Um, although I wouldn't expect it to. Um, anyway, all right. Uh, top again, we could talk about these these guys all, all all day long. Of course, we encourage everyone to check out it. And, and what I always say when I when we talk about prospects, go go consume as much information as you want, and come up with mm-hmm. your own opinions. You know. Take it all in. Take it all in. You don't have watch to, the games on MILB. TV. Watch the games. You like, can see them. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Well, you know, we'll have the the spring breakout games coming up in March and all those things. Uh, Mike Farron, we have already gone an hour, but I don't want to. I don't want to let you go. So let's keep this this final conversation quick. College baseball is coming. Yes, we are so excited for it. And I am going to keep this, uh, we'll keep this short. The drafts, of course, is why we are especially intrigued. Of course, we care about college baseball from a storyline and a standings and who's going to go to Omaha, whatever. But someone who cares about prospects, as we just demonstrated and have since we've been doing this podcast, um, 
it's also an opportunity to watch these players and to watch players that are going to be first round picks yeah. and be top 100 prospects a year from now. You know, that's that's that is going to be an opportunity we have when we're talking about guys at the top of this upcoming draft, like a Nick Kurtz, like a Travis Pizana, JJ Weatherhold. We're going to be talking about them as top 100 prospects in a year. And so they're going to be starting to play baseball here. Their their junior year is coming up. And what are you what are you most excited for? Is there is there one thing let from me, a draft standpoint that you're most excited for? Well, let me give you three names that I'm excited about. I, I think that this is a really deep college class, and there's mm-hmm. better pitching in it than there has been in a long time. Mm-hmm. But let me give you three names I'm really excited for opening weekend. Rodney Green Jr., who's the center fielder at Cal. He is a tooled-up dude who really didn't have that much baseball experience for getting to school. He needs to make some better swing decisions, but he could be an elite-level center fielder. I'm really excited to see him. I think we're probably both going to see him in person opening night against K-State, which is a great matchup, and I think that's going to be televised on the Milby Network, too, where it's Tyson Neighbors, Kalen Culpepper for K-State are both high draft picks, and Caleb Lomavita, the catcher at Cal, in addition to Green, is really good. But Green is one guy. Um, Hagen Smith at Arkansas, he has – he's nasty. He's a lefty who will sit in the mid-90s with his fastball as a starter and has a wipeout breaking ball, and he doesn't really have a great field to pitch as of last season, but he is one of the best pitching coaches in the country, working with him in Matt Hobbs. Um, I am super excited for him because he's a guy that could really be explode up draft boards. And then the one who, in listening to his pitching coach talk over the last week, and specifically on a BA podcast, hearing Sean McGrath, the pitching coach at Iowa, talk about Brody Brecht. If he, if he is close to being right on what Brecht has shown in bullpens in terms of improved control of his fastball, He's now got two sliders that he's working with, a sweeper and more of a bullet gyro one that are in the low 90s and a 92 mile an hour splitter. If he can command that at all, we're going to be talking about him as being the best pitching prospect we've seen since, I don't know, go back to the day, Strasburg or Ben McDonald or Tom Seaver, whatever it is. Like that guy throws 100 and holds 100 in, and it's a little different fastball than the one that Paul Skeens had. If Brecht is in the strike zone, he could, like, we'll know on opening night. They play in a tournament against, I think, Seton Hall Mm -hmm. in Charleston, South Carolina. If it looks really good on opening night, get ready, because he's going to be moving way up draft boards. Oh, yeah. And he's already, you know, for some, already at the top among the college pitching class. But, yeah, I mean, that, they've got a, a tournament in Jacksonville, and then at Ole Miss, March 1st. That is a game that yeah. will certainly be highly uh, televised, and I think a lot of people will be paying attention that, to. That Jacksonville tournament is streaming, too, and Virginia's mm-hmm. at it. Like That's, that's a Auburn. loaded mm-hmm. tournament. Auburn yeah. is there, who is a, a a real sleeper. like that. And I think Wichita State's the fourth team. That's going to be a really good tournament, and you'll get a good idea. Iowa's one of those sleepers. Yeah, and you you kind of uh, kind of stole what I was going to say in terms of the one thing I'm I'm most excited for for those first few weeks because I've been staring at these draft boards and looking at all these different rankings and understanding that how deep the college classes in particular and, and the hitters like I know what it looks like I watch them, but when you see all these pitchers at the top for the first time, you mentioned Breck, you mentioned Hagen Smith, and you see them in February and what they look like, even if sometimes, you know, the early season tournaments is a great opportunity because it's better competition than they often face, Mm -hmm. you know, before out of conference. But you understand what they've been working for because honestly, you read every fall report on D1Baseball.com and every coach is gassing up their whole rotation. This guy looks unbelievable. This guy's throwing 99. Oh, this blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's nice. Let's see what happens when you go out there. In some cases, it's still cold, right? Like, Again, not that we want to judge these guys on February starts, but it doesn't take long before you start to understand who the pitchers are that we're going to be talking about in the first round. And then the other thing is you just hope these guys stay healthy. And that's that's the thing that last year we were ravaged, right? And and I hope that we don't, of course, deal with that again, but that's just the nature of it. And so seeing how these guys, you know, how durable they are and seeing what kind of stuff they're showing because – I've read every single one of these guys, the Ben Hess, right, and Thatcher Hurd and Santucci at Duke. Like, you can read glowing reports about all of these guys. I agree that Brecht is in a different category. Chase Burns may be closer to that. But there is going to be those guys in that next, we talk about tiers, those next tiers that make that jump that are actually sitting 96 that we didn't know. And that's the most exciting thing um, and why I can't wait. And, And maybe I will get to see it. 
uh, IRL. Um, yeah, wow, Cal K State. Let's make that happen. That's like four top sixty picks potentially if it all breaks right. Dude, we could you could over the course of that first weekend in Arizona see Travis Bazana, who's like the number two player, right? For Oregon State, they play a big tournament out in Surprise, Arizona. You could we just highlighted those guys, right? In terms of Cal K State are playing in the the Desert Invitational. Uh, Grand Canyon is too with Daniel Avidia, who's a really intriguing. We saw him in uh, that game arm. last year. Yep, yeah. a low slot joker, as our friend yeah. Mike Rooney likes to call him. Right, yeah. he's really really good. He'll be at that. Northeastern is playing in Tucson too, yeah. okay. and Mike well, Sirota not making who is, it down there. But <laughs> I, I mean, we might. We, we, I might put you in the Ferenmobile and drag you down to Tucson. <laughs> okay. Mike Sirota is real center news, fielder yeah. at, at Northeastern. He's a legit first yeah. round talent. Yeah. Like that's all just stuff going on around here, and like just for good measure. ASU is playing Santa Clara, and that's really interesting. A- ASU's got some hitters that are going to be not necessarily day one guys, but they have some talent there too. And Santa Clara is a pretty good program, so I'm excited. I can't. Yeah, wait. can you tell? Can you tell everybody? Uh, Mike Farron is excited for college baseball. So am I. Uh, thank you all for listening to this edition of Prospect Barbacast. Jake Mintz will be back with me. On Friday, he'll still be in England, but he'll be here uh, on this Zoom with me. Uh, Thank you, Mike. As always, uh, a pleasure. uh, An absolute uh, joy. Thank you to producer Chris. Chris Tyler, our our hero and uh, podcast savior. He is our our dear friend, and he produced this episode. Thank you, Chris. And uh, yeah, you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. And uh, we will uh, be back on Friday. Talk to you guys all on Friday. Goodbye. Sirius XM Podcasts.